1: while sharing killer craft beers if you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians well vox and hops is the podcast for you this week on the podcast i had an amazing conversation with morgan lander and sj jones about kitty pig there is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life metal and craft beer so what are you waiting for it's time to become a vox and hops head cheers you're now listening to fly in the call Today I'm talking with n.reed all about her solo project, How It Became Invisible. As you'll hear, she's in a ton of other bands as well, but this conversation is centered around the newest How It Became Invisible EP, Low Midnight Sun. The project is rock-based but is not confined by genre, with elements of ska, folk, electronic, and more. We talk about the overarching story throughout her music, how music helped her experience coming out as trans, finding community, holding on to musical ideas until you can make them work, and a whole lot more. Here's one more quick reminder of the 500 follower giveaway I'm currently running in support of Intransitive, a trans-led Arkansas-based organization creating brave spaces and offering financial assistance to trans people in emergency situations. Entry is free and will get you a Fly in the Call sticker, pin, and or keychain, as well as the chance to win one of three prize packs with merch from The Wonders, Origami Angel, Pentimento, and Great Matter. Check the show notes for links to enter. All entries must be received by the end of the day on April 13th. In addition, any donations made to Intransitive will be matched. Now let's get into my conversation with n.read of how it became invisible. What are you most looking forward to about the release?
0: People getting to hear it. Like, I don't know. I feel like I've released so much music over the last couple of years that it starts to kind of blend together. Like, I completely forgot about an EP I put out last, like, last March, I think, March or April. I was like, oh, shit, I put this six-song EP out. completely forgot about (laughs) it. I don't know. So I feel like I've been slowing down kind of in terms of putting stuff out so I could kind of space them apart better. And, like, the idea that I didn't put anything out since... Like I had the full length, and then like a couple songs that I'd left off, and I put out as a, as a single like a couple weeks later. But I haven't put anything out since like October last year. <laughs>
1: so that's a long time for me from October <laughs> to February. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I mean the one of my favorite songs on the EP is the one that uh, premiered on Emotresh yesterday or two days ago at this point I guess. Uh, Deny resupply, um, and I feel like it's kind of like. My chemical romance goes ska with like a little extra pop punk mixed in. Like, can you tell me about how like that one came together? Hell yeah. Like, no, sorry, I'm like
0: extremely flattered now. Um, because <laughs> like Emo Trash, they compared it to the Wonder Years, and so now I got my camera. I'm like, yes. <laughs> uh, that one, I actually originally started working on that for the album for the last full length, um, The Wave Returns to the Ocean, and I felt like while i loved the song and i loved the sound of it it kind of was saying some of the same things as other tracks on the full length so i was like i'm going to pull it off and kind of rework it and uh i'd always kind of wanted to do a ska song i <laughs> i loved ska since the boom back in the late 90s like that was less than jake is my jam and uh a lot of my friends are kind of super into ska so i'm like oh, i'll give i'll give them something to to be happy about, and um, kind of reworking the themes around to be a little bit more uh, blatant, I guess. In that, when I was originally working on it, it was kind of very subtextually about my transition and kind of getting through the last year of living in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, the uh, I kind of instead of making it subtext, I'm like, ah, oh, hell, just just say it. <laughs> Which is where the line of uh, forty years in a
1: broken body that never felt like mine. Yeah, and I mean, where does that kind of like, heart on your sleeve style kind of come from for you? Um,
0: I mean, I want to say the Wonder Years. Uh, a lot of the Wonder, like, I I don't know if I can really say just entirely that because a lot of the music I like is very much. Um, I don't want to say like hiding in metaphor because musicians as a matter of course have to kind of use metaphor even if they're being very blatant about what they're saying because it's really hard unless you're doing like very confessional rap to be like everything you're feeling exactly as you feel it like you you have to kind of hide it a little bit in uh in flowery language and poetry but um yeah 100 i can't say 100 a lot of it is listening to the wonder years and how much i love that band uh motion city soundtrack too actually them a lot I love that band, and uh, Justin Pierre is never one to shy away from putting all his ugliness and broken parts right up there on the on the screen, so to speak.
1: For sure, yeah. The, the One Years are literally my all-time favorite band, so that's definitely something we've connected with over Twitter and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I know you're in, like, what, four or five different bands, and I'm curious, just, like... Can you kind of walk me through the some of the differences between your projects and how you kind of decide what goes where?
0: Sure. Um, so I'll start. I'll say there's, there's I'm in three semi-active. I want to say semi-active bands because how many bands are quote unquote active right now? <laughs> logistically. Yeah, it's um, like
1: the, the hot Mulligan going on hiatus joke. <laughs>
0: yeah, and uh, I'm in a fourth band, which is I can't talk a whole lot about because it would be. I, I, can't, I keep talking around it. Like I've been talking around it for a year. Because <laughs> okay, so this one band I'm in is called Robots and Race Cars. Uh, we're a pop punk band out of Philly. We st- first started playing together like 14 years ago at this point, point. Um, and we put out a couple full lengths and an EP, and we put out a full length in 2011 called Rage Quit, and then kind of took a break because our guitar player was having issues. I was having Uh, I like moved farther away from everyone which sucked but it made it more difficult to get together and then we never actually broke up (laughs) so we just started kind of putting ourselves back together the last year and then you know the pandemic happened that kind of got in the way but uh, I play bass and sing in that band and that one's more of a we all write together so it's not like I'm I'm, if I bring a song in it's like a piece of a song and then the other guys because we have three vocalists we all kind of do our stuff to it Um, so that's that band. Uh, I play bass in a band called Take Today, and I don't really write for that. That's our guitar player, singer Joe. That's his baby. He writes stuff. He tells me, okay, this is what we're doing. All right, cool. I'll play my bass on it. Um, and then I sing a little bit in it. So, uh, in the same way, Joe contributes to how it became invisible, but he basically takes my direction in that he's in charge of Take Today. I just show up and play. With Danger Club, I only write lyrics and vocals. I contribute like pieces of songs sometimes. So like on danger clubs, first album, uh, the good times are over two of the songs on it. I wrote the music for, but then the other guys who are like vastly better musicians than I am, they made them sound way better. So I'm just vocals and that's it. And that, uh, danger club was kind of originally where I started kind of flexing the super confessional, no subtext muscles, like we were talking about earlier, where it was all very like, this is how I'm feeling, this is about, the first album's a lot of it's about society and like social stuff. And while we did not plan it that way, it was recorded and written throughout 2015 to 2016. It came out the week of the 2016 presidential election. (laughs) So, And it was called The Good Times Are Over. Like we didn't really plan that, but that ended up happening. And then the EP, we put out an EP last January called Caustic and Exhausted. And that's very specifically about uh, me coming out as trans and like kind of grappling with the feelings of that. So my writing process for Danger Club is very different from how I became visible in that uh, with Danger Club, I, I mean, I would say I belt a lot more and that I uh, do a lot of more strong. Because if I'm just singing, I'm not thinking about anything else. And with how I became visible, I'm thinking about all of it. <laughs> so it becomes much more, that's kind of how I separate them now. So, like, Danger Club is just stuff where I could just cut loose and uh, let my musical theater background out a little bit. <laughs> and then, how I became visible is much more. I mean, I don't want to say folky because it doesn't sound
1: folk at all. um, (laughs) Grassroots.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's the way to put it. So basically, How It Became Visible is everything that doesn't go to another band. Gotcha, gotcha.
1: I mean, having been kind of like around playing music for so long, what are some of the kind of like big takeaways you've had or like some of the if you have any like tidbits that, you know, think you think would be particularly valuable for like other people in the in the music industry? Ooh,
0: I don't know, because I don't know if anybody would want to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just a person who's never really left the tri-state area. So <laughs> I don't know how much value I'd have. In terms of songwriting, because that's kind of where I focus 99% of my energies, Is I've had a lot of people talk to me who ask me, like, well, how are you so prolific? Because I, like I said, I put out way too much music. And I always say it's because I never let anything go. There's songs on, say, this EP coming out soon. One of them, I started, uh, when did I start that? I want to say like 10 years ago, more than that, more than 10 years ago, like 12 (laughs) years ago, maybe. And then when I wrote like right before I recorded it, the full length album I put out uh, back in October, there's a song on it that I originally wrote like in 2003 and just, it never felt right until i was like no this feels right here so i kind of spruced it up and it was good to go i feel like some people get too kind of precious with it where if it doesn't work immediately they're like well i'm just going to leave this and never come back to it i feel that as long as you can find something worthwhile in it you should keep it until it feels
1: right and where you kind of like draw that line between the stuff that you'd think has kind of that potential on the stuff that, you know, you do just let go. I kind of subscribe to the Beatles method. <laughs> I know that the, the Beatles, specifically Paul
0: and John, had a thing where they didn't really write down a lot of stuff when they were first started working on it. And their their deal was, if we play this and write this and come up with it today and we can remember it tomorrow, that's good enough to work on and keep. So I look at it as if there's some part of it that sticks in my head and like, I can hear even if it's a week later or like 10 years later or like the next day, as long as that part's still in my head, I'm like, that's worth working on.
1: And I mean, with the kind of advances of the digital age, how has that kind of like changed your songwriting process or like, you know, as far as being able to, you know, just record something on your phone and then just have it kind of in perpetuity.
0: Um, It's, definitely helped with that but the, the thing is i've always kind of recorded i've I didn't well not on my phone but when i first started songwriting i was when i lived with my parents and we had a computer that had a voice recorder it was i forget which it was like some ancient version of like a re- recording thing so it was literally just you used the computer mic and you recorded live and i had i don't know how many nights where i was staying up to 4 a.m just writing songs and recording them and keeping them and So that's always kind of been how I've written. Uh, Like I have a skeleton and then kind of build on top of it. The only difference now is that sometimes I'll just, you know, start a new garage band project, pick a key and start noodling until I come up with something now.
1: I'm curious, like with so many kind of like genres, I mean, in this new EP alone, there's kind of like, there's like pop punk, ska, folk punk, even a little bit of like electronic music. Like what kind of, keeps it all connected for you.
0: Here's, here's where I kind of reveal a secret. It's not a secret. Some people already know about this. Everything I've ever released in my head has a story to it. So, like, there is, if I, like, sit down and write it, I could write you a story that starts with the Danger Club full, no oh, even further back, the first How It Became Invisible album, which was Planetary, that I did. When did I record that? I recorded that in 2012. So everything from that point on I could write like a story that connects every single thing. <laughs> so that's not necessarily how I start it. I don't start saying I'm going to write the next part of this, but that's kind of how I justify all these weird things fitting together. <laughs> Where like the first How I Became Invisible album, I was just—it's uh, called Planetary. Each song on it is represents a planet. So like the first song is Mercury, second song is Venus, and it's you know on that on the surface level, it's about all the planets. The subtext is my fiance at the time went to Japan and left me, so <laughs> it's kind of like I keep the surface level as to what connects everything. The, the subtext stuff isn't necessarily going to make sense from album to That's just that's how I justify it making sense to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I guess the thing that keeps them in, in connected, like in terms of the varied genre stuff, is it's still all just me. I uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm like crazy genius songwriter that everyone <laughs> should be like yes yes please come to me I shall sit at my knee and I shall tell you it's I do I do feel like I have a recognizable style um which my friend Joe points out to me all the time because he's like yeah that's a that's a very
1: Nick thing I'm like cool that's exactly what I want to hear as far as like the writing process and the inspiration process, how does inspiration strike you? And where? how do you kind of like follow all those different kind of sides of things?
0: Um, some of it is purposeful experimentation. So like the idea of like, well, I've never done a ska song, so I'm going to do a ska song. So that kind of goes down that road. Some of it is what feels right for this song. So on the EP, the, um, the song River Song, That was very purposely in my, when I first wrote it, however many years ago, was me trying to write a Decemberists style song. Obviously it didn't come out that way, but it was very much like, I want to write kind of a rootsy folk rock type song. Um, And then sometimes it's just like, I'm going to do an electronic thing because that was a tool I started putting in my toolbox and I need to exercise that tool.
1: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the kind of, the story that kind of interacts all your releases. And I'm curious, like, what's what's kind of like this chapter of the story? What is the brief uh, summary of it? Without getting too bogged
0: down into the, quite frankly, insane uh, gymnastics I have to do to make all these things connect, <laughs> um, there is, I'll, I'll put it this way, there's a definite point in the releases where it crosses over from being a sci-fi story into just, this is my life. and. In this case, it's each release I've done, like the bigger releases, so the Full Length Unidentified, the Triple Single, Topside Anonymous Human, and then the Full Length, The Way Returns to the Ocean. I consider those like the main releases. Throughout those, it's me just progressively being more and more open about being transgender. And uh, this new one is kind of connected to that in that there is a lot of stuff dealing with, you know, the, the effect of being, o- being open about my my transgenderness, and I don't even know how to say that correctly. <laughs> I don't know what the grammatically correct way to say that is. But, um, and also kind of being in the middle of, again, still in the middle of the pandemic, but I've structured this EP and uh, actually the next two uh, to be around themes within themselves. So this first EP, which is called Low Midnight Sun, is structured around the theme of denial. So every song on it is about the the narrator, whether it's me or someone else, is in denial about something. I'm trying to think of how I do this without giving too much away. I'll put it this way. Uh, So Deny Resupply, obviously, it's in the title. Um, I should should say this better. I'm doing three EPs. (laughs) Um, This first one... Low Midnight Sun is about denial. The second one, which let me see, I don't know if I've t- titled yet or not. I have to look at my master file. <laughs> um the second EP, which is coming out in June, is tentatively titled Finding Meaning in Demons. And that's themed around anger. And then the third EP, which is coming out in October, is tentatively titled The End of the Dark. And it's themed around acceptance. So it's obviously like you look at, deeper into that, it's the uh, stages of grief, um, minus a couple, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I was kind of theming the songs I chose to put on this EP around denial. So the first song, Deny Resupply," is about you know me living in denial of myself. Uh, "The Tide Rolls Out" is about someone else denying the narrator. "River Song" is. Someone who's in a who was in a relationship with someone, saying, "You know, I don't care what everyone else says. We could still get together. Just run away with me." Kind of being in denial of the future of the situation they're in. Skipping ahead, the cover, which is uh, called "Past the Point of Rescue," was originally done by a country artist. I don't want to say originally, but that's the way I first heard it in the early '90s. Called Hal Ketchum, and like when I first heard that, I'm like, "I love this song." I don't like country music that much, but I love this song. And I've been trying to figure out a way to cover it since I want to say 1993. But I put that on there because if you listen to the lyrics, it's about a person saying, you know, you might th- think you know what's best and you don't, but I do. <laughs> so the person who's singing is in kind of denial that they could ever be wrong. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm going with the next read. So the second one's anger, third one's acceptance. And they're all going to have, each, each are also going to have a cover on them and uh, that cover will be related to the theme as well.
1: Nice. Yeah, and you've mentioned uh, your transition a couple of times, and I'm curious if you could, you know, if you feel comfortable, you know, talk a little bit about kind of the role that music writing has played in the kind of, I guess for lack of a better word, the way you've like handled that, the way, you know, you've kind of navigated yourself through it and maybe some of your experiences kind of in the scene as you came out.
0: It's interesting in that, it's only been a few years for me that I only kind of realized I was trans like three years ago. So it's been, it's been a very short time. And that was kind of music was kind of the way I started dipping my toe into putting that out there, I guess. And that like my spouse knew because I, I told her, um, and my, my stepson knew because he's trans. So I was like, hey, by the way, (laughs) um, and uh, I didn't really come out to a lot of people then, and um, it was mostly just my bands, so, like, they knew, because I'm like, hey, if I show up to practice and I'm wearing a dress, uh, yeah, (laughs) here's what's happening, and then kind of using that to, I guess, push against the membrane a little bit, and that, like, I would take today is the band that's Probably had the most gigs over the last couple of years. Well, not the last year, but before that, um, we'd started, you know, kind of playing out a lot more. Danger Club here and there, but we weren't really playing out a lot at that point because we were concentrating on recording. But even when we did, I was starting to wear more feminine clothing on stage. And while I knew I was trans and I knew I wanted to be more out about it. I didn't want everybody else to yet. So I could I was using my stage presence and my stage kind of persona to kind of I don't know, jumpstart that. Just kind of like be like, hey, no, it's just a stage thing. I'm not, no, no. What are you talking about? No. <laughs> kind of, I guess, in denial myself. Um but to to what to point you said that yeah, kind of writing to the music kind of it did help in that it helped me articulate things I maybe couldn't have said otherwise. Um, There's, even in songs that I look at as fictional or as like story songs that aren't about me, there's definitely pieces of me in there. And in a, like for example, a song on my full length from a couple years ago, Unidentified. I mean, just in the title, unidentified. It's, I mean, <laughs> there's a song on it called "The Lonesome Death of D.B. Cooper," and the first couple lines of the song are "No one knows who I am," and that's all part of the plan. So it's I was it's maybe something I've been working through even longer than I was aware of it, <laughs> but it's definitely helped a lot. Um, it's probably the first place where I sit out loud. You know, I'm a girl, or kind of put it in blatant terms even before i said it to like say my therapist (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, and i mean i feel like kind of this is a little bit related to that like in that I, i think you're like kind of a handful of musicians who seem to have kind of like their own little section of the scene or like super supportive of each other like i'm thinking of bands like blue vines jiraiya um other ones that are escaping me at the moment, but can you talk a little bit about kind of like that, that role of community? That has actually, you know, that's been probably the best thing about, I mean, it's, it's, it's weird
0: saying the best thing about, you know, being in quarantine, being inside because of the pandemic has been getting to know all these people and that I'm a very online person. <laughs> I have been a very online person since I discovered the internet uh, at, when I was in community college uh, in 2001 that was where I discovered the internet because we didn't have it at my house. And I was like, wait, what's this? There's message boards, (laughs) but I've always been very online. Like I've, I've loved Twitter. (laughs) I've loved Twitter since I first heard of it. And I will, you will have to pry it for my cold dead fingers. But yeah, like finding all these kind of like-minded individuals has been amazing. Like, Like you mentioned blue vines, blue vines is like my main dude on the, on Twitter. He's my main dude on the internet. I, I love him. I am patiently awaiting his full-length album and I in fact messaged him on Instagram earlier telling him to finish it because I want to hear it. <laughs> um, he's one of the people we kind of bounce ideas off each other. Uh, St. Judas is another one. Uh, Big Aluminum. Um, Joe Howland. Uh, sad Act. We kind of all bounce ideas off each other all the time. Jiraiya is I don't know if I could even say that I'm in the same league as him. <laughs> he's that that kid, I swear to god, the, the the stuff he comes up with both musically and visually just blows my mind. Um I fully believe he's going to like just blow up sometime soon and everyone's going to realize how great he is. Um but that's just like, you know, kind of that little Twitter corner. There's also there's a uh a group of LGBTQ musicians, most uh, trans musicians mostly, but there's also some people of other uh, identities who every couple of weeks we get together and they we do like a streaming show, not streaming. It's not a streaming show, but it's like through Discord. It's like a, a just a live show through Discord. And it's not recorded, it's not archived. You have to be there to listen to it. And if you're not, you know, tough shit. But just having that community has been so amazing. Like meeting, even even before I was really as out as I am, like meeting these other people and having these other people be so supportive of me and each other, and like me being there and listening to their music and seeing, wow, this is amazing. It's been, it's been so great, not just from a music angle, which it's been great from that, but also just in terms of like feeling more comfortable with myself and uh, more comfortable talking about, myself and who I am and like kind of just showing who I am. Um, It's the first place I like used my new pronouns was in that group. Um, And they've just been, everyone's just so amazingly supportive of each other. And that's, I feel like that's the best possible thing you can get from a community online. It's just people being supportive of each other in a cesspool of toxicity that Twitter and Facebook and all those other places are just having these little like pods of just sunshine rainbows and super gayness is amazing.
1: And I mean, I guess kind of going off that what have kind of been some of your favorite, like pseudo live experiences of the, the pandemic.
0: Um, there's been a few, like, are you talking just in terms of me performing or seeing other people perform? Oh, either way. Okay. Um, I want to say me just I'll, I'll choose one of each uh one of me performing was the 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 lgbtq thing i mentioned earlier it's called the indie rock smoke dungeon um it's kind of an in not an invite only but like in order to find out the discord you have to talk to someone who's in it um but we do advertise be like when we're going to have a show we'll put like a flyer up saying hey these check this out in fact i don't know if it's been officially announced yet i'm going to be doing a record release show through it oh nice um and that's what I was going to mention is that the lat my record from last year, we did a show kind of themed around that. And it was just so great having people like, just being like, I love this. This fucks. You're like best. Like while I'm playing songs and then like suddenly breaking out a wonder years cover people losing their shit. It was just so, it was so gratifying, especially after having not played a live show since the beginning of March which was uh, Take Today played a gig in Philly like right before they started locking things down. And that was the last time I got to play music out live. And going that long without doing a live show, is just, it's, 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 it, it kills me. <laughs> like that's been my like, I know it's it's a cliche thing for musicians to say, music is my therapy, but I mean, my therapy is my therapy, but music is also my therapy. <laughs> and then like in terms of other bands, like, I want to like. I love the Wonder Years shows they've done. They did the the acoustic one based around Burst and Decay, and then the the Halloween show was also great. I was real bummed because I was supposed to see them on their last tour, and uh, it was. I was so excited because it was them, and then like Spanish Love Songs was opening for them, and they did one of my favorite albums of last year. And I was like, oh yeah, same.
1: motherfucker!
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that was actually that tour. I went to the Boston date of that tour which was one of the first dates and that was the last show I saw and then one of the first shows that I missed because of it was the Connecticut date which was would have been the first time I've seen them in Connecticut since like probably 2012 or something like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was I was real bummed that that got canceled. I was I was supposed to go to the Philly date. I mean, I'll take the live streams. But like they were great. I still the Mountain Goats did the two night one. That was amazing, but uh, I want to say the best one was I, it was just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Jimmy Eat World played the entirety of Futures, which is my favorite album of theirs. That was just fantastic because I've never I've never gotten to see them live, despite the fact that I love that band so much. I've never seen them live, so it was kind of I'll take it. <laughs> I'm excited because uh, on this this Friday they're doing Clarity, and I love that album too. So I was like, hell yes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I have like a weird relationship with futures in that in middle school I had like a, a phase where I was literally getting like CDs toted from libraries all across the state to my local library and just ripping them to my computer and then mostly not listening to them ever. <laughs> and futures was definitely one of them because I remember like I it was so long ago that it was like one of the MP3 players that had you know, it would just list all the songs in alphabetical order. So like, twenty one was like the first song. Yeah, I um, my friend, I forget who, but someone
0: had gotten hit, got me a leaked copy of it, uh, like a month before it came out, and I was like, oh, this album is so great. And then when I finally got the real album, like, wait, this sounds really different because whoever had like leaked it or whatever had taken the the beginning of twenty three and like accidentally melded it to the beginning of whatever the second track is so it sounded like oh they're doing this real big like concept thing where they begin with that guitar part and then that's the last song no that wasn't it at
1: all I love love like that early internet stuff like that where it's like you just kind of you roll with it whatever you got you got and whether it was legit or not it kind of became your definitive version. Yeah, like
0: on, on Limewire and Kazai, you'd have all these file names like for fans of Jimmy World and less than Jake, and it's
1: just Reliant K. I'm like, this isn't like either of those two bands, but fine. <laughs> and I mean, going off of the the live experience, what is your your dream cathartic lineup back that just you know releases all the pent-up <laughs> feelings of the pandemic? Oh god. Uh
0: I mean Spanish love songs. <laughs> i would love to i would love to see them live brave faces everyone is such a friggin' amazing album and just that's what that's what i'll put on because i'm working from home i don't have that time of commuting to work where i usually have my window down and they're like yelling out my window so if no one else is home that's what i'm doing (laughs) so yeah spanish love songs uh Danger Club. No, <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. That's totally um, fair
1: game. Yeah. that's a no. different way to release that pent up, yeah. those pent up feelings. I'm
0: going to, I'll, I'll listen to Ben. I love play. I'm going to get on stage and yell at you for thirty minutes, and then we'll have the Wonder Years come on, and play Sister Cities in its entirety. Oh yeah, <laughs> followed up by Aaron Westeroy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I back that. I back that. <laughs> Uh, you know, I like to wrap up every episode the same way, which is just by kind of asking for a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about, whether it's music, life, philosophical, kind of whatever you want to get off your mind.
0: I guess kind of a mix. Um, I know it's cliche to say, but I want to say just don't ever give up. I've been doing this since I was in some form or fashion. Since I was 19, I'm... <laughs> years old now. <laughs> um, I'm older. We'll put it that way. I mean, if, I'm sure someone could listen to some things I said earlier and kind of figure it out. But I feel like as long as it's important, and as long as you feel like it's important to you, you're going to find an audience. You're going to find someone who cares. You're going to find someone who, who hears something you've written or hears something you've released or hears something you play and say, this really speaks to me. This makes me feel the way I felt when I'm talking about me. When, when I first heard Meet Worlds 23, or when I first heard Jets to Brazil's Orange Drumming Dictionary, or when I first heard, going back even further, like Nirvana, like something that really like kind of cracked my head open and said, this is who you want to be. This is what you want to do. And someone's going to find that in what you do, as long as you believe in it,
1: if that makes any sense. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that's also what's awesome about the internet is literally someone's going to find it no matter where they are. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, I mean, is there anything else that we haven't hit on that you've been really wanting to get out? Oh. um... Yeah, I think everyone should listen to Blue Vines. <laughs> <laughs> and listen to the, the episode I do with them. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: I, th- I will, I will, I will big up my my dudes for forever. Listen to Blue Vines, listen to St. Judas, listen to Jariah, listen to Take Today. I don't really bump up that band enough, and I'm in it. <laughs> but uh there's um I'll say this: there's a cover compilation that me and a bunch of those people actually kind of put together which came out on at the beginning of the year, January 1st to be exact, which uh, benefits cystic fibrosis. And uh, I feel like it would be really cool if everyone went there, there's some really great songs on it. Blue Vines did a uh, Jimmy World's uh, Bleed American. Um, I did a super drag song, Take Today did a Jawbreaker cover. Uh, there's There's a whole bunch of great, great artists on it doing some great, great songs. And uh, you can find it at anthropicrex.bandcamp.com R-E-C-S, Rex I couldn't get Anthropic Records
1: Alright, alright, alright Another episode of Flying the Call is coming to a close Endot is doing such great stuff with How I Became Invisible and all her other projects So be sure to check them out Remember to enter the giveaway at the links in the show notes and check back next Wednesday for the winners, another great episode, as well as the second installment of What's the Buzz, a new segment where music writer Joel Funk and I break down some of our favorite songs in current rotation. Fly on the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and the Kayla Jane Plermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at Fly on the Call Pod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at findthecallpod at gmail.com. You belong here, and you are loved.